I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm, please visit excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Welcome to the conversation on Colloquium. Today, for the first time ever, I have multiple guests on the podcast simultaneously. So if nothing else, it'll be interesting to see how this all rolls. But I'm excited because I've got Tom Levinson, Elizabeth Keith, Keith and Leonora uh, Williamson with me, who we've known each other for the last probably six plus months. And I'm excited to get into some of the work that you all are doing. Maybe we'll start with quick introductions to give people a sense of your backgrounds and how you all work together. Leonora, can you start us off with that? Absolutely. I've known Tom since college, and we reconnected around work a couple of years ago when Tom shared that he and his wife, Elizabeth, had started a firm that was doing family business advising, and they were looking for a professional coach to join their ranks. And so really, it's very interesting how our collaboration came together because it came together based in trust, which is actually at the foundation of a lot of the work that we do with clients because we've known each other a long time. So that's how we began working together. And by way of my background, my background is in business, big business, small businesses. And today I am a professional certified coach who does a lot of work with family businesses. I also teach negotiation and corporate social responsibility at Vanderbilt University. And I come from a family business on whose board I serve. And I, and I have to I have to do this because your family are big Wesleyan uh, it's supporters and they've done a lot yes. for the, the school and 
you know, my wife went to Wesley and I went to Wesley. My brother went there. So I'm an unabashed total Wesleyan fan. And so when we connected at our children's school and I, I saw your name and I said, there's not that many Zilkas running around. There must be a connection. So it was really fun to start the relationship that way. And thank you to your family for all the support you've given to the school over the years. It's been very meaningful. Well, it, it's especially fun to make that connection, both living in Nashville, where the South is different from the Northeast. So Yeah, I think you're talking to like 25% of all the Wesleyan alums in the Middle Tennessee area right now on, on this uh, interview. So <laughs> Tom, do you want to maybe give a little bit of background? I mean, it seems like the natural segue since you all uh, know each other from college days. Yeah, you bet. In terms of how, in terms of LK Advisors or how we all got together? So yeah, let's, let's start with both because I think it, it adds color to the whole conversation. Okay, you bet. So, well, first and foremost, let me start with just saying thank you for having us. This is a great opportunity to be able to chat with you, learn learn more from you, about you, and get to share a bit more about uh, LK Advisors. So we really appreciate it. We created LK Advisors with a few bedrock truths in mind. One is that family can be wonderful and complicated. The second is that wealth can be a blessing and a burden. When you combine wealth and families, there's a great deal of possibility. And also too frequently and, and unfortunately, uh, a great deal of pain and suffering. That's especially the case when families are navigating important transitions in the family's life cycle. So that could be the passing of a matriarch, patriarch, or succession planning uh, within the context of a family-owned business enterprise, or maybe it's a life-altering midlife windfall inheritance someone receives, or maybe it's uh, the next generation coming of age and taking on new roles, new leadership opportunities within the, within the life of the family. So we launched LK Advisors to help families navigate these transitions with a good communication and an authentic process. And we do that through our family coaching work and the customized family education curriculum that we've created. In the process, families and their individual family members build a toolkit of knowledge and skills and articulated values that help them navigate these transitions and take on productively the challenges that are inevitable in their life together and also celebrate the joys and blessings of their of their shared family life together. So that's really the the high level that's the high level overview of what LK Advisors does and we're really grateful to have an extraordinary team educators and clinicians and coaches on board with LK and Elizabeth and, and Leonora are like right there at the top of that playlist. Elizabeth and I are husband and wife. We've been married since May 2003. And I'll let her talk a little bit about uh, her work and her background. Leonora and I actually, our, our relationship our relationship predates Elizabeth and my relationship because we are good friends from college and have known each other since probably the early 90s, since the spin doctors were popular. I, I know that dates me, but there, I've said it. The spin doctors were the first week of freshman year on repeat as we were all getting to know each other. I saw them in concert 
when, you know, I was in middle school, I guess. So not old as you all, but I'm old. So we can just kind of have that shared experience. <laughs> but before we get into the meat of the conversation, Elizabeth, could you maybe introduce yourself and give a little bit of background? Sure. Well, so you already know how Tom and I know each other. That's 20 years. And lucky for me, I got to got to meet Leonora in the bargain. My background is that I'm a psychiatrist. So I continue to clinically practice and I'm also a medical educator. And so I kind of brought a bit of an unusual background to the work with LK. And it all started around a dinner table conversation with Tom probably around seven years ago when I was holding a position of being the student affairs dean at University of Chicago's medical school and had developed a robust wellness curriculum for them. And in that process, really had been digging into all of the literature around mindset, growth, health, well-being, thinking about adults in particular, emerging adults, and what it is to help them gain the skills to live an authentic and kind of well-balanced life. And Tom and I were talking about the complexity of wealth and families. And he knows that nothing gets me more excited than hearing about a curriculum challenge. And so as a real curriculum nerd, we started to ask the question of, you know, what would it look like to give families a curriculum that would give them the tools to build on the strengths that they already have, to work with one another in a really authentic way, and to have fun while they figure out how to navigate the different stages of life in a productive and meaningful way. And so as lame as it sounds... We actually started LK Advisors as a fun thing to do on vacation and on the weekends because we would just spend time reading articles and adding to our curriculum and riffing on what it would look like to to make this work. And that's how it was born. And then we got really lucky because we happened to know a lot of incredibly interesting, creative people with great skill sets. And we began to bring them in to do the work with us. And Leonora was just a natural for us. We were thrilled when she decided to join. So we focus on high net worth individuals and families on this show. And we do quite a bit on the quantitative side, right? The financial advisory, the investments and and all that. But in my experience, talking with other families and and my own family and our family office, it, it seems to me that it's typically the qualitative, emotional, intergenerational issues that end up dictating whether or not you are successful over the long term as a cohesive family. Can you, and I'm going to throw it out there, whoever wants to take first shot at it, talk about what you've seen in terms of fact patterns that have made families successful and how they relate meaning to the money that they have? Yeah, absolutely. Leonora, do you want to take a take a shot uh, responding to this first blush? Sure. And I can tell you right now that I'll invite contribution from both of you as well, because I think we've had different experiences seeing different families in action. Mm-hmm. But you know, many high net worth families are high net worth families because they're involved in a business. And so my comments are really going to be directed towards the intersection of families and business. And that may be narrower than your question, but I think that's where most of my professional experience has focused. So I'm going to stay in that lane. And then if you want to expand from there, I think we can do that if that sounds okay. So we look through the lens of a Venn diagram, because while we're into the soft stuff, we're never going to entirely leave pretty PowerPoints behind, right? Because we're business people. But we look at family systems or families in business 
through a kind of three-part lens. The first circle is family and the family system. The second, it, the second circle is the business operations of a family's business. And the third circle is the ownership and governance structure of that business. And for any family business, there's some configuration of that Venn diagram. We've seen families where those are collapsed on each other and there's no boundaries between those different roles. And it can be very chaotic and create a lot of pain. And we've seen families who've done decades of work to keep those circles intentionally placed so that they know where the overlap is. So recently we worked with a client where we were having a family meeting and we actually had dinner bells on our desk to ring when members of the family began to move into the shareholder lane or the business operations lane, because it's critical for families in business to know which conversation they're having at any given time. And for families in business, I think paying close attention to life in each of those three circles and then making sure that they're interacting appropriately is really a hallmark of being successful. And having containers so that if there's strife in, say, the business operation side of a family's existence, how do you contain that so that what happens at the Thanksgiving table is still pleasant and loving and in line with the family's stated value system? So I don't know, Tom and Elizabeth, if you want to build on that, but I think just setting up that framework of family ownership, governance, and business operations is critical to how we look at successful families. Thanks, Lenora. I'm going to I'm gonna jump in. I think, Brian, you asked, what are some of the ingredients? And really intrinsic to what Leonora is saying is just the power of some core principles and, and ways of being. And what I mean specifically is thinking about the role of structure, the importance of discernment, the importance of communication around discerned values, and then in engaging in an ongoing and ever modifying process. And so one of the things that's that's quite powerful is families, especially families of family-owned businesses or families of high net worth, often have members of their families that are extraordinarily successful in particular domains. And in those domains, they typically have a really good process for looking at what they've done, learning from their experiences, course correcting, thinking about roles, thinking about how to communicate. But unfortunately, as humans, we're just not that great at taking what we learn in one domain and translating it into another. And so I think part of the secret sauce of what we're able to do is help people to realize that there are domains in which they've utilized a process that's incredibly successful and really powerful. And our job is to really help them integrate components of that and possibly add to their toolkit in that domain and and branch out into other domains so that they have an ongoing process of experiential learning that is something the entire family can partake in. So going back to that idea of, you know, structure, the thing that we think about as parents when we're raising our kids, structure is so useful and helpful. Structure is incredibly important, but adding to it a deepening of discernment and then real communication tools allows families to have a process that works. And I noticed it's interesting. I was reading your bios, Landor and Elizabeth. You you both highlight coaching. And on the pre-call, Elizabeth, we were talking about how you're a, a sailing coach. How much of that background and mindset do you bring to the table when you start working and advising with some of these multi-generational families? Well, 
Brian, I could, I could talk a long time for, about this, but I will try to keep it short and concise. And I, and I love I, sports analogies. I love sports cliches. Fantastic. You know, I'm a college athlete and I, I find myself increasingly just repeating stuff that my JV coach, my whatever coach told me, cause it just, it works. Like these are real <laughs> truisms. So go ahead. I, 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 well, you and I are, are drinking from that same water fountain. Cause I couldn't agree more. I often start any story of my life with what it was like to learn how to be a sailing coach. Turns out that U.S. sailing is regulated by a bunch of curriculum nerds. And so learning about, I mean, sports, as you say, sports are a wonderful metaphor for life, mostly because nobody crushes it all the time, whether you're on the field or I'll talk about the sports that I did in college, which is sailing. You know, part of part of the big thing about sailing is no matter how prepared you are, Mother Nature always has something else in mind for you. And so I think it's a perfect analogy for leaning into what it looks like to be prepared and also what it looks like to have a sense of humor and reflect on profound and embarrassing mistakes. If you've ever raced and had a gall come up, you know what it looks like to suddenly capsize right on the starting line. Um, you know what it looks like to get hurt. You know what it looks like to feel frightened or afraid. And you also know what it looks like to use the skills that you've put into your toolkit to really ride on that edge between what feels dangerous and out of control and what is thrilling and exciting and be able to push yourself into other domains. But really pushing on that analogy, when you're in a high stakes situation on the water, when you're in a high stakes emotional situation in a family, part of what you're always doing is asking yourself, one, how do I communicate I mean, the sport that I coach and race is a two-person sport. So communication is essential. And being really honest about where you are, and this is something we talk about all the time with families, and again, I talk about all the time with on the water, is developing a toolkit for how to assess yourself and your own skills and being really honest about what's frightening, where you think you need more information, where you don't understand something. And then where you can hone and practice and refine your, your skills, that's, that's key. So I think what's nice about the coaching mindset is, it, is it's a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. And we know that growth mindset in a million and one different ways, and certainly reflecting on the past 18 months, we know growth mindset really allows humans to maintain a sense of optimism and to continue to do better at what it is they want most to do. That's what I got to say. And Tom, I kind of want to piggyback on top of that, but then also segue, you have a a, a master's from divinity school. How much of the spiritual perspective do you bring to these conversations and how has it been able to impact the work that you've done with these families? It's a great question. I think the, one of the kind of overarching questions for for the families that we work with and their individual members is what's the intersection of money and meaning in my life? How do I make meaning of this wealth? How do I do it in big ways? And how do I do it in small ways? And then how do I transmit core values to the next generation or the generations to come after that? Those questions that are absolutely planning questions that have quantitative dimensions to it. But they're also existential questions. And I think we shouldn't shy away from that. And I think part of what my divinity school background and having strongly considered becoming a rabbi 20 years ago, part of what that background 
and disposition allows allows me to do is lean into those conversations. And I think those are conversations that I think people are really hungry to have. It's just that there are a lot of taboos against having them openly and searchingly. And I think, you know, one of the wonderful things that that we get to do in our work with families is where appropriate is get to sort of pepper the conversations with some of these allusions and references and stories to our wisdom traditions in a way that lets families know, no, you're actually not alone. You're not isolated. You're not the first person to be struggling or, or you know, struggling with this kind of series of questions. All you have to do is open, for example, Hebrew Bible to the book of Ecclesiastes, and you see an extraordinarily powerful, wealthy, successful, and accomplished person who, in the middle of his life, is struggling with these questions about what does it all mean and what's my wealth for? And I think that's a powerful realization for people. It certainly has been impactful for me. And I think for families we work with to recognize there's a a long tradition of conversations about this and a long legacy of people who've wrestled with that out loud and that that's okay. I'd love to build on what Tom is saying. There's a wonderful distinction that sometimes in life we tend to overlook the things that are really important because we're focusing on the things that are urgent. And I think one of the unique elements of the work that we do with families is we create a space and a structure and we make it really fun for families to have conversations that are important, but often feel not only not urgent, but even sometimes uncomfortable to have. And we've seen patriarchs move to tears talking to their children about legacy. We've seen some incredible conversations take place that when you actually provide the container for people to have these conversations, they have this deep desire to be part of those. And it's incredibly meaningful, but it can be very hard to have some of these discussions without the right frame and without the right structure. And I think for me, a core motivation in doing this work is if you can help people have those important conversations, the potential to either relieve pain and suffering or help families avoid pain and suffering by having important conversations is enormous. And I feel almost moved to tears, honestly, just thinking about what that can do for people. So one of the best kind of definitions that I've I've seen or, or these conversations I've heard is that the concept that money has energy associated with it, and you can use that energy for good or evil, or it, it can kind of warp your experience. Do you see that as well when you talk to families, especially when they're undergoing some kind of transition from generation to generation, or maybe post-liquidity event, how the, even just the the terms they use around the roles and responsibilities and the corpus of assets that they are storing or inheriting or transferring? I can jump in with some first thoughts on that. I think there is, at the macro-cultural level and within the context of families, there is a powerful taboo against talking openly about money. So the question you're asking, Brian, is a really good one. Money, by definition, is neutral. But the uh, experience of money on a family, on relationships, on family dynamics, 
can be positive or negative. It can be energizing or enervating. And I think that part of what's helpful is to, and and part of the work that we do is get into um, a conversation about family history and family history with money and with wealth so that we're actually able to help families explore how their narratives about money first got started. What informs those narratives? And are they accurate? Maybe in some ways they are, maybe in other ways they're not. But in the conversation that we emphasize is an ongoing process, not a one-time event, that conversation uh, enables people to unpack those experiences and learn more from their experience and from others' experiences within the family about the role of money in their lives, what it's meant, and what it can mean going forward. Leonora, Elizabeth, did you want to add on to that? I think we're good. I think you covered most of the ground. So we've talked on a high level, kind of what you all do, how you work, the the power of these conversations, but I want to get a little bit more granular. Talk about the curriculum and talk about some of the things that you actually do when you interface with these families. And you do some different things that that I want to get into in terms of, I'll let you explain some of the workshops or some of the programs you put on. I really want to get into the detail because not a lot of advisors in this space are doing the type of work that you're doing. I think unfortunately, or fortunately, part of part of what you're hearing, Brian, is a lot of a recognition that in life, maybe maybe the the best thing we can do is hold contradictory things in our hands at the same time. So often we don't think of people, people, Brian, like you and me, who um, love sports and love coaching and and think about teams and athletes hand in hand with those who are super nerds. But I think you and I would probably both agree having a little bit of both is part of the richness in life. So in addition, in addition to my curriculum nerd components, I am also a hardcore gaming nerd. So there's not a parlor game that I don't like to play, not a board game I don't like to play. I draw the line at video games, although I'm an avid uh, watcher of other people playing video games. So that's a whole other thing. What I'll say about that is, I think that anything that we do has to be embedded in real and textured experience for us in order, us as humans, in order for us to get something out of it. You know, this notion of having skin in the game. And when we're thinking about families, families usually involve multi-generations and individuals who are looking to connect in a meaningful way. And so the idea of us showing up as LK advisors and being the expression is sage on the stage you know, with us talking at a group of families ranging in age from five to 85, like it's really hard to imagine that being something any family member, the five-year-old, 85-year-old, or anyone in between is going to think sounds like a good idea. So part of what we really sought to do when we were making this curriculum is have behind the curriculum a really robust understanding of what humans need across their life cycle And for that, we delve deep into Ericksonian stages of development and thinking about what it it is for individuals at each different stage to be able to leave that stage feeling a sense of wholeness and a sense of integrity. And we thought about financial literacy across age and stage. And then we thought about just flat out kind of interpersonal communication, character curriculum skills across age and stage. 
And we went deep into all of those things. And then we looked at it and realized that we were probably three or Tom and I, when we were creating this, two of the only humans on the planet who would want to look at any of that in any great detail. And we said, how can we make this fun? And so we developed a curriculum that really has games at the heart of it, games around communication, games around group activities. I'll tell you that we thematically think about things as building. We start with a series of modules around history. We move into a series of modules around work. We move out of the modules around work into a series of modules around love and communication. And finally, into a series of modules around legacy. But as we're doing that, and I'll just pull on work as an example, we have a game that we developed that is tactile, It involves a store, it involves earning money, it involves building a bridge. People have different roles. Again, it's available to be played for people from age five all the way up to 85. But what it does in the conversation we're able to have afterwards peels back the layers on all kinds of work, invisible work, visible work, work that we do for money, work that we do that's not for money. And it allows family members to step into roles that they haven't necessarily utilized in a while so that they can appreciate and recognize just how valuable the different kinds of work are. And kids are able to recognize, look, my work of caring for my body, caring for my room, having a set of chores, that's actually really meaningful work because the whole system can't go without me doing it. People who are working in the home have the chance to recognize, wow, This other work where I'm doing the work, uh, more visible work of earning money is necessary. While the people who are in the role of kind of unpaid work, but scaffolding, learn just how difficult that is and how interconnected those roles are. So that's, that's just one example of something that while people are doing it, they're having a blast, they're laughing. Some of them are allowed to talk. Some of them aren't allowed to talk. Some of them have to communicate with nonverbal um, signals or you know, in a win, lose, or draw sort of a way. And, and afterwards, the conversation just gets deeper and deeper. I'll do a hard pause there, and, and I'm happy to give you some other examples of games we play, but that gives you a bit of an overview. And I just wanted to add one thing to what Elizabeth said, which is that I think we really recognize that if that if the families we work with see this work as work, as drudgery, they're just not going to be enthusiastic to show up at the table. But if they see it as play, if they see it as fun, if they see it as creative and collaborative, we have a much better chance of getting everybody from 5 to 85. And by the way, there are 86 or 87 or 88-year-olds out there. We, of course, invite you to the table, too. There's no, there's no age cap. But it really is the case that like, if you can embed these real skills and, and this real knowledge in kind of a, a play-based uh, learning environment, you're gonna get, I think we're going to get a lot better outcomes. And can you give a little bit, maybe just a specific example of some of the games you play and your role within those games working with the families? I'm, ha- I'm, I'm happy to jump back in. So we, so we spoke a bit about the game that we play around work. That's one of our favorites, mostly because it's very madcap. People are running around from room to room, accomplishing different tasks. We have in our in our history module, for example, we have a number of games that involve storytelling and uncovering stories. And so one of the things that we want both kids and adults to recognize is the power of narrative and the creativity that's involved in narrative. So we juxtapose two different kinds of storytelling. One is 
helping people to learn how to interview one another and pull out their stories and, and ask questions that are interesting and relevant to them and helping to coach kids and young adults with questions that they have about their own lives and who in their family might or might not be somebody who they would want to interview around that. But then on the more creative side, helping them to put together different pictures to craft stories and playing with this idea of what it looks like to not have a fixed mindset around narrative and thinking about the ingredients of a story and, and what that can what that can look like. And that's an ongoing theme. So in different years, we build on different com components of communication. So one of the games that we really like is a telephone game that's not involved with speaking. It's only it's a, a nonverbal telephone game. And helping families to really come up with shorthands for recognizing that what they're saying and what's being received may be two different things. And you can already see the power of metaphor and analogy that comes through with these games. So there's both the game playing, which can be silly and fun. And then there's the debriefing, which always gets back to core learning objectives and helps, I think, to deepen people's experience of things. Elizabeth, if I can jump in there, I, I'm thinking back to one story of a family that was practicing having cringy conversations was how it was labeled. And they were given cards to tee up conversations that would be uncomfortable to have. And the situations were hypothetical. They had nothing to do with this family or anything with their circumstances. And it, it they were multi-generational multi groups having the conversation together. And a few minutes into doing this exercise, a member of one of our families said, we're doing this about this hypothetical topic, but we should be having this conversation about this one thing that's really relevant and germane to our family. And it's fascinating to watch how even in a game that can feel really fun and silly, and I mean that in the best sense of the word, right? Because when we're being silly, our defenses are down. We're not carrying a lot of the stories that might create tension with family members or make it hard to have conversations. So in this moment of silliness and openness and the vulnerability that comes with it, we're watching people make connections to the conversations they need to have in their own life. And so it's, I almost wish that I could invite every listener to this podcast to be a fly on the wall to see the power of using this fun, gamified approach to really get people into important discussions. Leonora, thanks for adding that. I would, I would just say sitting behind every single game, as I mentioned, are both learning objectives, but also process objectives. So one of the core pieces of learning we want every member of a family to walk away with is a sense of how to problem solve. And we have a kind of not unusual, but specific four-step approach to problem solving, where we talk explicitly about naming the problem and what it looks like to name a problem, about information gathering, about talking to experts, and about making a guess. And, you know, one of the things we go over with every, again, every family member is just how uncomfortable it feels to name a problem and how once we've named a problem, we always want to rush to a solution. And so steps two and three, this information gathering and talking to experts and even broadening our understanding of what an expert is, who an expert is, that's essential because it's how we do our best problem solving. But because it's so uncomfortable to name the problem, we're often just jumping to that solution. So when we're playing games, we can notice those components. 
you know, people rushing to an answer, rushing to a solution, not drawing on the resources around them. And families, especially families of high net worth, have a lot of resources, not just financial. There's a lot of resources, probably far more than financial, in terms of the breadth and depth of experiences that family members have been able to have. And so part of what we want every member to be able to recognize is just how powerful it can be to really expand their sense of the experts in the room and what it looks like to make problem solving problem solving, both individual and collaborative. Elizabeth, I we knew this was going to happen, that you and I would start building off each other because we love talking about this work so much. And Tom, feel free if you want to jump in. But, you know, I think the other thing that's really important and interesting about that is that people don't realize the skills they already have. And one of the wonderful parts of this work is, as Elizabeth said, it's not being the sage on the stage. It's kind of being in the background to let members of the family show what they know. And I think any of us who are from a family have had this experience. You can walk around the world as an adult and you get back to being with your siblings and your parents and you regress to the person that you were when you were 12, whether you want to or not. And I don't think I'm alone in having had that experience. And one of the real gifts of having a structured process with outside facilitators is that we don't hold any of those narratives or any of that history. We don't know what people were like when they were 12. And honestly, it's our job to be kind of agnostic to that. And so we often like to say that we're reintroducing family members to each other in this work so that family members who have a lifetime of history that can cloud how they view one another can begin to put that aside to see who their family members are as adults and the gifts that they have and the wisdom and resources and expertise they bring to the family problem solving, whatever whatever that is, whether that's stating a set of family values, whether it's talking about a philanthropic thesis, whether it's organizing a family office, it, it's really amazing the power of this reintroduction of family members to each other. Well, I think we could probably go for another hour, but we are bumping up against time. I want to thank all of you for coming on and sharing your experiences. And if people are interested in, in learning more about your services and the work that you all are doing, and you put out some really good content as well, I would say, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? People can absolutely reach us and can email me directly, tom at lkadvisors.com. That can be a, a good first step. We have a just about to launch updated website at lkadvisors.com that should be uh, launching within the next couple of days. So people should absolutely check that out if they want to learn more about the work, learn more about us and our team members. So those would be logical places to start. But we also just want to say thanks so much, Brian, for having us. It's been a great conversation. Thanks, and, uh, Brian. Appreciate it. Yeah, yes, absolutely. This you. is It was fun and we'll have to do a, a follow-up um, because I think there's a lot more that we can get into, but this is a good introduction. So thank you again for joining us. Really appreciate it and look forward to staying in touch. Thanks, Brian. Sounds great. Thanks, thank Brian. You. Take care. Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 